0: These are extraordinary times, but with too much information and much of it confusing. On Body Ecology Living, I interview some of the best minds to help you live your best life possible. We'll discuss topics on using foods to heal, on building a hearty immune system, on aging well, on taking care of your gut and, of course, your brain, but most of all, on clarifying the right steps to be happier healthier and having the energy to make a difference in your own world. Welcome everybody to Body Ecology Living. I'm really excited about this podcast today because it's on a topic that not enough people know about. Unfortunately, medical practitioners don't really know about it. If they did, they'd be able to get more people well. And I am interviewing Dr. Susan Brown. And we've done a podcast already Earlier on another important topic, osteoporosis. And you must listen to that because, you know, all of these doctors are sending women over to get a DEXA scan. The DEXA scan may not be uh, all that accurate. So you've mm-hmm. got to listen to that one. And also, this talk today on acid alkaline is very much related to osteoporosis. So uh, my guest is Dr. Susan. Brown, PhD. She has a center called uh, Better Bones, Center for Better Bones, and she's written a uh, couple of books, but we're gonna I'm going to show you her book, The Acid Alkaline Food Guide, because this is a must. It's like a reference book. You've got to have this. And then um, I just want you to know that she's a medical anthropologist and a certified nutritionist, which I find is, uh, when I read that, I learned that about her. I thought, wow, what an interesting combination. So, (laughs) Dr. Susan, (laughs) welcome. And could you start off by telling us a little bit about your history? Like, how did you become interested in anthropology and then get into uh, nutrition?
1: Well, Donna, you, you know, you yourself have always cast a pretty broad net trying to figure out the whole ecology of the body, which is related to the ecology of human cultures, which is related to the ecology of the cosmos. So you're the first person to cast a broad net. and I was always interested in that broad net trying to think, what is it? Why do certain cultures behave the way they do Culture is something that we learn and share. And I was interested in studying how in different regions of the world, the same kind of human beings adapted to different environments, different histories, different inputs and developed different cultural lifestyles that they passed and passed on and on. And if they were successful, they lasted a long, long time. Um, and so I got very intrigued with the study of different cultures, understanding different cultures. And then, uh, when I realized that the, that I had some health concerns I got very interested in. Uh, people who knew about how to regain that natural human potential for health I saw people all over the world that have very good health and i'm wondering hmm how do we maintain that natural health and it occurred to me that we have within us a natural healing potential if we look around every uh, the animals do perfectly fine without hospitals and without clinics to go to and how is that it they that they human- don't take supplements <laughs> <laughs> they don't take supplements they just eat. They just eat what mother nature gave them. Um, And so I started studying about health. And particularly in my case, my grandmother, who I dearly loved, fractured a hip at 102 when she was living by herself in her house. She was very independent. People stopped by there every day, but it was an amazing example of personal strength. She had both osteoporosis and rickets that we didn't really identify. This was a person born in the late 1800s who understood what slavery was like. And in fact, one day I asked her when she was about a hundred, I said, what was it like being a woman when you grow up, when you grew up? She said, come back tomorrow. I'll think about it. I went back tomorrow and she said, you know, Susan, when I was young growing up as a woman, it was just like being a slave. And I thought, isn't that, isn't that an acute observation? She was born in 1880. I mean, she knew about the history of this. She knew what slaves were about and she saw the position of women. It's so striking, but she was a kind person, a beautiful person. And I always thought how long she would have lived if someone knew decades ago, all she probably needed was a little vitamin D, you know? And so I, I was really struck with that. And I began studying bone health for that reason.
0: Oh, interesting. Yeah. Well, you know, um, my father's aunts mm-hmm. uh reached into the well well into their nineties, mid nineties, and they uh they all three had breast cancer. Yeah had it for probably a long time, like ten years, but they didn't die from the breast cancer. They must have kind of just died from old age. But I've always thought that was interesting and like you, I didn't think about being studying anthropology, but I've had that same question for many years. Like Um, I'm fascinated with their cultures and what do they eat and um, how, and what's the secret to the ones staying older? Yes. as they get up there and still be active? Now I will say that when you look at them, they look old. And I think we have a lot more understanding of why we age. So we're going to see people getting to that age and they'll also look better.
1: Yeah. The the looking thing is interesting, isn't it? But you know, more important than the look to me is how people feel and if people are happy. I mean, there's never wow. been a culture that had so many conveniences as our culture, yet never, but but dramatically high levels of unhappiness, anxiety, worry, fear, and even destructive self behavior, and just that we've kind of lost contact with that native uh, feeling of what is helpful to life and what is a good way to live a life and how do we feel happy and and successful and we get very uh, we're just uh, seems like we're overburdened with inputs with technology with new information lost kind of our footing in that basic nature of the human potential for happiness and well-being and i being agree when you Go ahead. Say again. No, no. And pH actually relates to this. And we can talk later about it, that that actually the ability to produce energy within this body is what allows us to survive. And we can produce a low amount of energy. Like, did you know that the, in one day you produce your own weight in ATP? Now, that's hard to imagine. I weigh 120 pounds. I produce 120 pounds of ATP every single day. And that wow. that can be an efficient production. It can take a little bit of my energy or it can take a lot of my energy. And part of that is dependent on the pH. The environment, the acid-base balance influences how much energy we produce. The more energy we have, the very big likelihood we're going to feel better. We're going to be able mm-hmm. to accomplish what we want. We're going to be happy. Yeah,
0: absolutely. So let's get into this talk, but I want to say it a little bit. Um, when I wrote The Body Called Your Diet 30 years ago, I... Uh-huh. Uh, It had seven principles, universal laws that uh, people I you know I don't think I've ever done a really good job of explaining them well enough to people it's too bad because they're really important and yeah. we have to live by them we can't change them and they dominate us in our life and one of those I've been macrobiotic for eight years and they um talk uh, you know acid alkaline and the principle of balance or yin yang was uh, the main thing you know uh, macrobiotics is based on so yeah. I when I was learning about yeast infections and the diet and all I, I brought the understanding of acid alkaline and it's really critical for so many reasons. But, you know, lately I've been working on another book and, um, you know, helping long haulers and I um, I'm even more convinced with the infections that we have in our body and we're always going to have them. Mm -hmm. um, You've got to have a slightly more alkaline environment or these um, infections thrive, and actually, they work very hard to make the body more acidic so they can survive. So I oh, know what crazy. we need to do is start off with the real basics because I'm sure some people have never even heard the term acid alkaline. And so uh, if we could just sort of start off with, um, like, like what is acid, yeah, acid alkaline?
1: Yeah. yeah. Well, probably everybody. Remembers their chemistry class, you know, where you would, they would understand that there's a pH scale, uh, which measures a degree of acidity. In a minute, I'll tell you exactly technically what acidity is. Um, it's just simply a free hydrogen ion, but it's a, it's the, it's the, so there was a scale from zero to 14. You might have remembered that in school, colored scale. Seven is neutral. We know acid rain gets to be when it's like below seven, that seven is neutral. We'd do 't want and so we, we, we realize because of acid rain that the environment is changing and we see this scale from 1 to 14 7 being neutral we know that if you now this you might have had to take chemistry to remember this but the blood the blood has to be slightly alkaline. 7.35 7.35 to 7.45 in order for life to exist so it's a kind of narrow window that the ph has to be and we, we if we if we're gardeners you we probably know they will say when you plant these plants test the ph of your soil this particular plant likes acid soil this particular crop likes alkaline soil so there's lots of applications of ph balance in the general life that we do um in simple terms you could think well very acid is like hydrochloric acid very acid, like down towards the one end. And then very alkaline is like bleach or baking soda, which is at towards the 14 end. And that acid base has a balance of course and 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 if you stray, if you stray too far in one direction the plants don't grow or your blood doesn't grow if you stray too far in the other direction the same thing it's not compatible with human life or it's not compatible with the particular function of the animal feed or the plant feed or the the pH of the oceans is very interesting now it's becoming so acidic because of the changing climate when you change mm-hmm. climate different plants grow and these plants are, are very, uh, are acid producing, but also we have to, uh, the acids, like when we take and we have a chimney that's putting up, uh, uncombusted carbons. Those carbons go to the, to the sky and then they fall back down to the earth and they fall back down to the earth often in the oceans. The oceans are, and the oceans buffer those acids with things like carbonate things like the shells of plants things like the coral reefs and so we have a great deal of destruction of the oceans the changing of ph in ocean where a lot of the if you might have been in florida at times you can't swim because there's only jellyfish and that's because jellyfish survive in that particular environment or up north here the swimming areas are often closed because the water's too hot and too much algae it's also acid forming certain toxins develop so it's a it's oh. a little it's a chemical balance it's a chemical issue of how much free acid now just not to bore people too much, but free acid is a hydrogen ion, just the simplest ion in the world in h plus and then an al- an acid is something that has that free hydrogen and a, an alkaline substance is something that can buffer or or uh, neutralize, so to speak, that, that acid to get it back more towards the middle range. It's a dance of chemicals uh, mm-hmm. and electrons. And, you know, basically. I I,
0: uh, I don't want people to, like, glaze over because they don't want to know about chemistry. But, but and I do want to get into the really practical stuff, why this okay. is so important to know. But I want to tell you, because I know you're in Michigan, that I read an article about a lake in Michigan where they were getting all this acid rain, and so the fish started coating themselves in mucus to yeah. protect themselves from the acid rain, and then they smothered to death. So losing it? the fish population just another example of how that shows up in nature. That's but, interesting. Um, yeah, I thought that was one of those things that stuck in my mind for maybe thirty years now. Yeah. But, um, anyway, so we just want—I want to point out that the. Blood itself, our blood, is very tightly regulated in its pH. And I think people get real confused because they, uh, a lot of people dispute this theory because they say um, it can't be too alkaline or you'll die or too acid when you die, but that's the blood. So throughout the whole body, there's all these organs that have different pH, like the stomach and the vagina and the mouth and the gut and all. Can we just kind of walk through the digestive tract and – Talk about how the pH changes
1: from the mouth to the stomach to the colon. (laughs) Well, yeah. I mean, we can talk a tad bit about that. I'm not really an expert on the digestion side, but certainly the oral cavity, if that gets acidic, like we eat sugars, and then that is acid forming, the bacteria grow that produce acidity that it can lead to damaging of the teeth that's quite well known the oral cavity you'd like to have alkaline we know that the stomach is very acidic you want the stomach to be acidic the strongest acid in the body is hydrochloric acid that can actually those little hydrogen ions are looking for something to uh, to to grab onto and so they actually they actually have an electron transfer with like that the food we digest the food we eat so it helps to break down that food acid has mm-hmm. the capacity to break down yeah so especially it, it, the um proteins
0: and especially it helps the extract proteins. uh extract out you know things like b12 and minerals which are minerals to yeah exactly, it's important exactly. To the stomach. exactly but then down in the small intestine you get alkaline again but you get acidic down in the colon so that the microbes live there and need to um Be, they're awesome loving you too, basically, so. Yeah, yes, so I just think that's fascinating. The confusing actually is because there's blood, which is tightly regulated, and then there's places all over the body. Um, the vagina is more acidic. You know, if a woman makes love with a man and, and he has sperm in there, he's changing the pH of the vagina and he's exactly. infections and so on, too. So it's, that's one simple thing to know. But um, so I wanted to, so I don't but, think but, people know. Oh, go ahead.
1: Well, I want to say you're absolutely right, Don, and and we talk about it in kind of general terms because we're focusing on the survival of the body and that the blood pH must be particular, but you're absolutely right. There's different compartments in the body that have different pHs, and that, that very acid uh chime from the stomach goes to the pancreas. The pancreas produces all this uh these buffering, all this bicarbonate and and the whole and like you say, then into the intestine it tends to change pH depending on the situation of the microbes. And so yeah, it's it's, that's right. Every compartment can have its own particular pH. And I didn't mean to simplify that too much. But we're looking at the body I just think we
0: need to be more uh, clear for people because I think this is just one area that there's a lot of confusion around and even practitioners. So um, the, the thing to know, um, are, I mean, so you can do a very simple test in the morning when you wake up and you explain this in the book. Um, you have test strips that are my favorite ones to use because they're yeah. very durable. set so yeah. of those, they have like, you know, testing where there's like a paper thing and you strip them out. I don't, I don't really like those as much, but they, I mean, they're fine if that's all you've got, but you want to talk about testing. Like how would somebody know if their body, if their, if their body um, is too acidic or too alkaline or balanced, how, how can we test for that?
1: Right, right, right. So What seems to be pretty, you'd love to be able to take the blood, you know, and, and study that blood, look at the pH, but you can't do it. It's, you have to, even if your doctor pulls your blood, you have to measure it right quickly because it will soon, uh, it, it will soon change the pH. So the thing, the, the clinically relevant technique is to look at the urine, and there's quite a bit of data saying that the urine is if we're looking at the kind of acidity what we call metabolic acidity, if we look at the impact of different foods on the pH, then we look at the first morning urine, and the first morning urine is a very good indicator of mineral of of uh, a pH balance and acid load, and acid load is really an indicator of mineral adequacy because the compounds that alkalize are attached to minerals most frequently like uh, potassium. Citrate, which becomes potassium bicarb in the in the body, or magnesium alkyl citrate. So, yeah, you want to measure the first morning urine. We have in the book, the Acid Alkaline Food Guide. I I discuss that technology. And we actually have a pH test kit at betterbones.com and alkalineforlife.com. We have a, we have a pH test kit that gives you the book and uh, um, suggestions on how to develop a diet that'll get the proper pH, a high mineral diet, and then uh, these strips to measure your first morning urine. And what you want the first morning urine to be is like 6.5, just either slightly acidic to 7.5, right around ner- neutral, remember, which is 7. So that's a simple so thing to do. If it's
0: acidic, it's going to be more uh, when you put the strip underneath your urine and you you know, shake it off and bring it out. If it's yellowish, it's more acidic. And there's a little guide on there. There's a little chart that you can hold it up to. It's amazing how accurate it is.
1: It's a color guide. Yeah, it's a color mm-hmm. guide. So you're looking for slightly green, which is about 6.5. Donna, have you, have you tried that with some of the people on the body ecology diet? Have you seen what their pH is, I wonder?
0: We, you know, I went through a spell there where people were real into it and mm-hmm. got so many questions because they were testing all throughout the day and they really yeah, didn't understand that thing, it. Yeah. So I sort of got away from that. But I think of cultures, speaking of cultures, like Japan, for example, well, in a day's time they are taking in a lot of minerals in their diet like they put kombu which is a sea vegetable into water and boil it and make like a kombu stock then into that they stir that into paste, which is protein and more minerals and then they um they just Eat that literally for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and their whole diet is just extremely mineral rich. So much so that when we, you know, when we went to that war, we went over there, started helping them. We brought in meat and we brought, which they didn't have, they had fish, and we brought in. Um, uh, milk which made them bigger bigger bones for example. Yeah, which the, uh, uh. Anyway, before actually were the extremely rich mineral uh mineral rich diet because they ate so much out of the ocean. Right. Um that they were some very small people, you know, they weren't tall and they were m- very muscular. Uh, yeah. So strong, very very strong, but they didn't develop the same way. So what we, you know, I always thought that was fascinating because I lived in Japan a few times. But yes. Um, yes. So, yeah, so could we um so I'm hoping people understand to go get test strips and tests because I've said for years that most everybody wakes up to acidic. Mm-hmm. And so the first thing you have to do is start changing, you know, that acidity. Like I I always put a lot of minerals in water. Right, And right, right. if I were going to drink coffee, which I try not to, uh, is acidic. So I'll put in, uh, we have ancient earth minerals, these are humic minerals in a liquid form. I'll put a couple of dropperfuls in there. You can't taste it, but I'm trying to um, create mm-hmm. balance, which also I'm going to talk about. Right. But um, so... Uh, So, and then try to stay very mineral rich during the day. So uh, that's why I think we really have to get in, get very practical here and start talking to people about foods. Right. Okay. The acid alkaline, the foods that are acidic and the foods that make the body more alkaline. And actually the foods that, you know,
1: naturally balanced. You know, it, it just just before we talk about the food so let me foods are real simple and i'll show you five categories of food that those are the main categories that alkalize mm-hmm. but the if you if you if you decide to measure your pH and get an idea of your acid load, you need to measure the first morning urine the either you'd like to have a urine measured after six hours of sleep. But some people say they can't they go to bed at 10, they wake up at three they have to urinate them. so that's okay urinate but then when you get up to stay do the first morning urine you, measuring it throughout the day has no accuracy because the pH changes all throughout the day as you buffer from different foods you eat and as you and in the more. morning
0: you should be not you have to do this before you eat right yeah,
1: that's right because right. you've had all night for your body to equilibrate the the acids with whatever alkalizing reserve they have so you can you buffer for as much as you can. And then you see that result in the morning. So the foods are really simple. And, you know, I was just reading an article by Linda Frisetto, a new article on potassium. She's a major pH researcher at the University of California. And they calculate that in prehistory, these humans like us ate uh, 10,000 grams of Of protein, of potassium a day. Potassium is one of the major, right? We we recommend. We used to recommend four thousand five hundred. Now they've reduced it to two thousand five hundred because they said no one's dying from, if it's at two thousand five hundred. It's really it's a whole other issue of what we set our standards at. But the point is. Early diets were very, very high in potassium. And potassium from the fruits and vegetables, nuts and seeds, is generally in the form of potassium citrate. The body takes that potassium citrate and produces a bicarbonate. And the pH is really a dance between free hydrogen and bicarbonate. And so we want lots of sources of fruits, vegetables, nuts and seeds, herbs and spices, and some and lentils are a very good alkalizing form. Some of those small pulses that can actually buffer acids. They have the alkali reserves that end up turning into bicarbonate that we can buffer acid with. So well, you know, if you, you can go buy a potassium citrate as a supplement, but it's a very
0: very low dose, like twenty milligrams or two hundred milligrams. I mean,
1: with I've pota- taken... Yeah. Go ahead. With potassium, you're saying.
0: Yeah, but, you know, I have potassium citrate as a supplement, and every time I go up to take it, if I get a cramp in my leg, I think, "Uh-oh, I'm really low in potassium." Yeah. But um, anyway, so I go to the cabinet where it, I keep it, and I always look at the bottle, which I can't remember now. But it's an incredibly low dose, like nothing really it's either you know 20 milligrams or maybe 200 milligrams but I always want to take like five of
1: them at least so how how do
0: you get more potassium in a supplement
1: so you could get it you just make yourself a nice green drink with a lot of green vegetables or or even even lemon and lime water which is has citrate which the body converts into bicarbonate but you know that's an interesting story what happened with potassium is that and the reason that until recently you couldn't by higher dose potassium is because people in kidney failure do not excrete excess potassium, and so if a person in kidney failure inadvertently takes or, or consciously takes uh, you know two, three, four thousand milligrams of potassium, um, they can they can have very serious problems with their heart, with the heartbeat, and this and that. So you want to make sure that you ha- are not in kidney. Distress, and that's why they kind of they kind of restricted the sale of high dose potassium, except under situations where the people are monitored, you know, to make sure they are not in kidney failure. Like, how can they get enough? Yeah,
0: let's say they don't have a kidney problem, but they want to take in more in a day. Besides the green drink, can
1: they take? Is there such a thing as a supplement with a higher dose? Well, certainly you can supplement with potassium citrate. But here's the thing: one of the really big values of alkalizing is taking the fruits and vegetables that have so many phyto compounds, so many antioxidants. Basically, one of the major foundations is oxidative damage, foundations of all disease. And so we want to keep that a very high antioxidant level. And of course, our ancestors did because they just ate whatever, nuts, seed, fruit, whatever they could find, the bark of a tree. Those things were chocked with nutrients and including high levels of antioxidants. So we can say, I'm just going to use a potassium supplement, but it's better to get the foods. And you can look at the potassium foods and go and say, on betterbones.com, you 'll find a chart of high potassium foods, and you pick the ones that maybe are low calories. you say you make a sproth, you make a soup of it you even things like lemon and lime juice will provide some, but certainly other foods like you know avocados will have many 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 uh, m- lots of lots of vegetables lots of vegetables have high potassium so okay, so I
0: wanted to um I know they're in the olden days when I first began, some of the old timers, that they were already old at that time. They um, had recommended like a potato skin broth. Right. That, I think that was rich in potassium. Potato it, skin
1: has a lot of potassium, right? And, and mm-hmm. Jensen would do that. They'd say cut off they the edge of the potato. Yeah, that's true. And I just saw a study that like 10% of the potassium that Americans get is from potatoes and processed potatoes we don't we don't eat the fruits and vegetables we eat in fact the average american of three people one does not one person out of three doesn't even have one fruit or one vegetable a day we eat things like all this processed food so if you eat a potato even a french fry you're getting a certain amount of potassium but we we'd like to give the body a full deck to play with with good fresh whole foods colorful foods foods that are very high in antioxidants high in phyto compounds, resveratrol, quercetin, all these amazing compounds that you're not going to get in a supplement. Now, well, if you um, Go ahead. So if you ask me about all oh, about supplementing in minerals, here's a really interesting thing. The first morning urine gives us a rough idea of mineral status because the minerals don't stand alone in nature. They're attached to something. They're attached to an anion. This is a negative charge this is a positive charge. So this negative charge can be alkalizing itself like a citrate or a glycinate or an ascorbate. So if you get a mineral attached to an alkaline, an alkalizing factor, it's much more powerful to ba- like balance the chemistry. Like potassium chloride. It's potassium still, but the chloride is is acid forming, so it's not as powerful a source of potassium. Where potassium citrate, this is alkalizing, you get that with potassium, you get a double benefit of alkalizing. And the most important, and that's how potassium occurs in food as potassium citrate. The most imp- important mineral, I think that we've overlooked though is magnesium. And the first morning urine test, if you if if somebody, if you're if if y'all, if y'all listening here say, hmm, this is interesting. I can count up my potassium, and you know how you need about you need about eight cups of fruits and vegetables, nuts and seeds a day, and some some small beans to alkalize. You need about eight cups. So you think, but I'm not quite getting that. I better expand this. But the other issue outside of potassium and perhaps more important is magnesium. Magnesium is really a hidden, magnesium deficiency is a hidden driver of many, many degenerative diseases today, including bone health, including cardiovascular disease. And the first morning urine is a very good indicator of magnesium status. So that's a particularly strong indicator of of magnesium in particular. And everyone would do well to measure that first morning in urine and see how is my magnesium doing? Then you can look at the food list. But here with magnesium, we do find you often need to supplement because you know what happens? We don't have this activity level that we eat, but we we can't eat as much food as our ancestors (laughs) did because we're sitting all day at this computer and we're not out there working in the fields or running around collecting food. So we... We don't have the same uh, the same appetites or the same ability to, uh, the same, we don't eat as much food to get the nutrients that our bodies use. The chemistry of our body needs high magnesium, high potassium, but we don't eat enough of those foods. We have a sandwich, they have, I'm hungry, that's good for lunch, instead of thinking, ah, we're full, but is it giving us the nutrients? Now most people don't think before they eat, but you know a big
0: issue today that I think about all the time and I don't have a solution for, yes. is that so many people are now on very restrictive diets. They're trying to save or stay away from the FODMAP foods, so mm-hmm. they because they have small intestine issues. And uh, another big one, and I'm very much in this camp um, because I learned about oxids maybe. 20 years ago when we started working with children with autism, they're super sensitive to foods high in oxalates. And, you know, uh, anyway, I'll go into that, but I've done uh, some podcasts and on summits and things like that. I, I, I always bring up oxalates and finally more and more people are knowing about them, talking about them. And Susan K. Norton wrote an excellent book on them, but they really are a problem and they really are high in vegetables, dark green leafy vegetables. Like, beet greens and um spinach of course uh but sweet potato uh, mm-hmm. i'm sure some of those foods when you look at you know what nutrients are in them there they are a great source of potassium
1: right right. right. so
0: um, swiss chard is another one there's just a lot unfortunately quite a lot of them now i developed candidiasis early in life because it was just what got me started on this path and why i wrote the book uh body culture diet book but um trying to get well and help other people. But I um, started off by taking antibiotics. You know, the doctors thought it was fine for my to have nice skin. And I took them for a long time. And I remember this last doctor said, you can stay on this antibiotic the rest of your life. Yeah. I started wondering, you know, yeah. Should I be on this thing for so long? It was like 15 years. So naturally, yeah. I learned my gut. My, if I ever had a microbiome, that was good because, you know, baby boomers weren't breastfed. Our moms mm-hmm. put Our moms were put to sleep, and we woke up. They they woke up. We were drugged, and they uh, they said, hey, Mrs. Whatever, You're, you have a little girl, you have a little boy, but very different birthing, you know, very far from nature, and little babies were seemed to be not very intelligent for a month or so because they were actually drug. Well, fast forward today, we know more about that, but we, we you know, basic baby boomers got a bad start to life. Well, then as time went on and my understanding of um, oxalates grew, what, what makes them besides these foods we're eating, and we're eating a lot of them now, nuts and seeds are very high in oxalates. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, anyway, <laughs> something important to know about, and so we're avoiding them because we have to. But now, as we understand more about yeast and mold, they're actually making oxids too. So we're getting them from a, mm-hmm. a popular diet, you know, the end diet, and we're getting them from um, yeast and mold making them. And so we're just off the charts creating mm-hmm. oxids in our body. And so I, I actually think that's one of the things that. Um, screws up our bones for example um you know they make the bones weak and porous Uh but i I wanted to um you know actually
1: talk about the things that do make us uh, unhealthily acidic the things that make us unhealthily acidic
0: well yeah it's probably not a good way to say it in other words what are the things we're doing like for example stress huge and and stress is making us acidic so right right talk about that the cortisol and all that but um also even just exercising we're temporarily acidic and uh, what are some of the things that come to your mind i'm huge on infections so they make us acidic
1: yeah yeah i mean it's it's a constant issue of balance certainly if we if we over exercise, we produce acids. If we're like lactic acid, that the and especially if we push ourselves maybe a little bit too much, and there's always this thing between rest and recovery. But if you take the issue of, uh, let's see, yeah, I mean, exercise is a really good example of we can definitely get acidic with exercise, but. Probably of more interest is the stress response, that when we, have, when we are under stress, as, as you all, everyone knows, the body really responds in many ways to kick up the survival mechanisms by producing things like cortisol, which tell your body, look, stop digesting food, shut off hydrochloric acid, start getting ready to fight or flight. Send the energy to the muscles, send the glucose to the muscles. Don't send it to digestion. Shut everything down that's not to do with the fight or flight mechanism. And so, yeah, stress has such a big impact. On every part of the body. In fact, we did some, I had a client who was always measuring her pH and she was very good. She'd always measure the first morning urine. She took up uh, the minerals. Like one of the things we do at Alkaline for Life is produce mineral compounds that alkalize. And so she took our, our, our supplements and she was great. But then she got a really big situation of stress. It was kind of a family distress and she recognizes that she got really invested in it. She got really upset she got thrown off kilter by this and and her pH went down and it stayed down for about four or five days till she finally said, you know, I realize I'm internalizing this. I've got to do my breathing exercises. I've got to let go of this a little, trust that it's going to work out. And when she shifted her mental attitude and changed her stress response, her pH went right back to normal. And a spiritual teacher told me once that the best way to handle
0: stress is to be absolutely grateful for everything even yes. that probably but i try to practice that and of course breathe too but i'm just by nature uh somebody that's easily stressed so yeah, that's it, you know that's it, common it, today and then we live in a world where you turn on the tv you turn on the news you awful things are happening in other places in the world you in here and we don't have any say so i fixing it it's um i don't know what it would have been you know like Different kind of stress if you were an ancient person living uh, thousands of years ago, <laughs> I mean, just your life, you know, getting enough food for stress, well, going, know. you know, not being killed, different, by d-
1: different, stresses, different kind of stress. Yeah.
0: But I don't know if we're under way more stress, and especially people in war zones right now. So, you know, it's almost like you almost have to assume stress is there, it's not going to go away. And so, you need to do things to constantly, daily, right. focus on. Minerals and alkalizing. And I have our, I take our minerals and I literally pop them into anything I'm drinking, even if yeah, it's super yeah. soup or something, because you might think, wow, she's sure sort of taking a lot of those, but I feel like I have to do that because
1: it's yeah. making
0: balance for me.
1: You know, and if we could also, uh, we need the full deck of nutrients and alkalizing compounds, but also if we could, if we could get, have a goal of gaining some control over our mental processes and our emotions and not be so subject to this. We see something horrible, we get to feel horrible, but, you know, to be more a witness of what's happening and try to, they always talk about the ducks, you know, they'll be in a pond, the ducks, one duck will fight with the other duck. They have a big fight. And then after it's over, they shake and they go off and they forget it. You know, we we have to kind of, the impression can leave a deep mark if we see something horrible on the TV, or it can leave a mark where we say, bless those people and and not have leave a deep mark that consistently brings up negativity. Just, Just to tell you, I did recently an interview with Acharya Sunya, who's one of these teachers of Ayurveda and the Vedas. And she, she, and this is called from fear to flourishing. That you can find it on YouTube if you're interested. We were talking about bone health and how fear affects bone health, and she said, you know, in the ancient texts they said that bone was very strong tissue. Nothing could damage bone except one thing, and that was negativity. So we have this whole energy. Is the energy of negativity is similar to the energy of acidity? You know, a breakdown, debilitating energy. I don't know, but certainly we should work to become masters of our thoughts and our feelings. At least we can't control the world, but we can control this body and how we respond to things.
0: Well, what advice would you have for somebody that just grew up in a really difficult situation and it's just ingrained in them to be fearful or
1: protecting well, I think themselves
0: that- and so like what? It, it's so, it's
1: so interesting, Donna, because the, the researchers now know that if you have a very fearful situation, uh, they like, you know, you, you were out there in the savannah, you fell into a deep hole, the tiger's after you, there's a fire, you gotta do something. Bone is the first organ to sacrifice. And what bone does is give up a protein, osteocalcin, to go into the blood and shut down the parasympathetic so we can stay in high gear, fight or flight. And that is a very interesting thing that happens. but. Today, we don't have tigers on our table. We may say, look, I'm just overloaded with all of this stuff, all this news around the world, or worse yet, a good friend of mine is very sick, or my mother died. Then we have to, it's very good to figure a way, like you said, in the long run, we know that this life is a learning school, that this is going to be a lesson too, but immediately we'd say, okay, I encourage people to sit down and to feel the feeling. The first time I said, I'm terribly sad. I'm crying. I'm sad. I'm, I'm to feel that feeling because suppressing feelings won't really help at all. And then to try to create a little distance and breathing is the most breathing sort of connects us to cosmic intelligence and also to the intelligence within us. So we sit down and do some very gentle, deep breaths and, Maybe even soothe ourselves. Maybe even say, "I'm really stressed, but it's going to be okay. I trust that the great goddess is going to provide whatever we do that can quiet down the response." And breathing is uh, breathing techniques are very good for that. And, and I'm thinking quiet down the response in a positive
0: way because somebody might say, "I'm very stressed. I'm going to the refrigerator and get." big chocolate bar or whatever. <laughs> you know there's a lot of ways people are handling stress in an unhealthy way too so your advice is very wise so thanks for saying that do you um so let's let me uh just go into a couple of diets yeah, you know yeah, there's sure. a carnivore diet and um so there. just to let people know basically the person is eating Animal protein, mostly beef from nose to tail, meaning they're eating a bunch of organs. And I don't think they eat the tail. But anyway, that's carnivore. And um, Paul Saladino uh, was really promoted and made it big. But after a year or so, he realized that wasn't a good thing to do. So he added in um, some fruits. But when you look at the fruits, one is avocado, which people don't think of it as a fruit. Mm-hmm. And the other one is coconut. So people mm-hmm. think those are kind of more vegetables, I guess. But And then some honey because he realized you had to have some carbs. And uh, I guess that's working for him well. But uh, I wondered uh, from the very beginning when I was hearing about it, I thought, wow, what an extremely acidic thing to be eating. That's going to... Eventually, there's going to be a problem here, and people are going to, you know, move away from carnivore, but um, uh-huh. that's a very acidic diet. Um, and, you know, the other thing, too, we didn't talk about the principle of balance. Um, another one of the 12 principles I talk about in the book. But so, carbs are very, very often given a, a bad rap. And what I know is they're acidic. But some people need them. The thyroid seems to need them, according to all the data. And also, um, they're calming. They help you sleep better at yes. night because they help you make more serotonin. I'm one of those people being a blood type A that definitely needs some complex carbs. Yes, but what yes, I yes. do, knowing the principle of balance, that they're acidic, and I need to alkalize to create balance, I do things like I might add those minerals, but also put in a lot of alkalizing vegetables. So I wouldn't just eat rice. I would put it in a, a gruel or a soup or something. So I'm getting the carbs, but I'm alkalizing them. But one of my yeah, other yeah. principles, the eighty twenty,
1: yes, is
0: more that, you know, you know, you've been knowing about the work for a long time, which I'm grateful for. And I really right. appreciate that you get what I've been doing all these years stuff you people do, but, but I just wanted to say, we can learn uh, about acid alkaline and
1: then we can learn how to create balance in our diet. So can you speak to that? Yes, sure. You know, and the carbohydrates is so interesting um, because many carbohydrates are alkalizing. In fact, a simple way to balance, to move towards balancing pH is to cut the grains, which are acid forming and do the root crops. So like your sweet potatoes, your turnips, your cabbage, your beets, all these things are very alkalizing. Uh, Very high mineral alkalizing, where the grains uh, are are generally acid forming. Now, quinoa might be different, millet's not so acid forming. In the book, I detail which grains are most acid forming, but that's a good move. Like, we don't want to throw the water, a baby out with the water there. There's certain types of people, like I'm like that too. I do much better with carbohydrates, having those root crops. Um, And certainly, honey is really a very powerful healing medicine. Uh, the ancient- well, actually, Paul, Carniv- uh, Paul, on his carnivore diet, he does have honey,
0: which I was kind yes. of surprised. But, yeah, he loves honey. You know, I was also just going to bring this up because gets back to that principle of uniqueness and how we all have different things. The root cause, the crops that you were just talking about, uh, they... Um, like sweet potatoes, for example, they're high in oxalates. So I personally can't eat them because I've had I dealt with a yeast infection for so many years. Uh-huh. I'm super sensitive to oxalates. I, I get a really dry, painful uh, left I eye see. from eating them. So um, really? chopping things all over. the I place. see. So you have to
1: sort through which you can have. Yeah, up, but can. you know
0: what works great are the like butternut squash, acorn uh-huh, squash. Okay. They are carby in the, in the vegetable world, but they go really, they help alkalize the same rice. Yes. Way, you know? That's very good. And, and then, of course, other things like carrots and uh, so potatoes and sweet potatoes are both high uh, in mm-hmm. oxalates, but it depends on how much you're using. So yes. maybe you um, put it, and a lot of uh, something I actually substitute a lot for uh, potato is daikon. Uh, oh yeah, okay. like in a vegetable soup, for example. If you mm-hmm. a lot of times it'll have potato in the recipe, but I'll just put in daikon, and it's delicious.
1: So yes, I, that's a very great, that's a very good idea. That's a really highly alkalizing form of radish. Yeah,
0: and there. so you definitely can do this, and it's quite possible. But I think what you have to start off is just understanding about the principle of I alkaline. I see. So. I see. Which foods on your um, are really good for you to eat? And how, and we need to lean more toward the alkaline, which is why I say 80 to twenty and but still add in something acid, so what would you list these some of the acid roots Acidity.
1: well you just you just i i think I got what you're talking about, let me just comment it's if a like you're t- you're thinking of someone has did particular digestive issues and particular needs of food like you, say you have to avoid certain types of food, then the book is great because we categorize food as either highly acid forming, moderate acid forming, low acid forming. So you can pick out, you know, those alkalizing foods, for example, that you are safe with because you know you're safe with them. So that is a very great idea. And So take advantage of the knowledge that there is. They've been all classified and don't ever worry. Like if I say tomatoes are slightly acid forming and someone else says they're slightly alkalized, don't worry because there's different ways of calculating this. So, And I explain the different ways here in the book, but don't worry about it. Go by results. Measure your first morning urine. If you say, look, I ate a bunch of, tomatoes and it didn't have an acid effect. So we just go by results. We don't waste our time worrying about little details. Like this person said, this was highly acid forming. This person said it wasn't because most of all the foods are the same. Like have all the charts have similar points like the acid forming food. Anything that is protein is going to be acid forming because the when we metabolize it, it leaves some acid residue. So whether it's beans that are acid-forming or whether it's meat that's acid-forming or fish or turkey, it's going to be acid-forming. Bread,
0: like when you're talking about a sandwich earlier, lots of people eat sandwiches every day. Yes. Uh, bread, everybody seems to eat bread and so very acid-forming. So after Maybe on
1: your acid-forming sandwich, you need a lot of alkalizing. Yeah, there's vegetables. breads. Yeah, and there's breads that they're trying to make that aren't so acid-forming. But um, that's that's right. So but, what about salt? Things? Adding salt to well, see this is a very important thing. The, the new research is suggesting that sodium chloride as a form of salt. Is very acid forming. And so, of course, we need a certain amount of salt, but we don't want, you don't want to eat excess of salt, sodium. You know, I, what's the recommendation? Probably a teaspoon or something a day. And you don't want to eat too, if you, if you eat too much salt, it causes a loss of calcium in the urine and it has an acidifying effect. Um, now, if you use Himalayan salt or Celtic salt, that's high mineral salt. I don't think it's going to have that same effect, but the sodium chloride will. And certainly all kinds of processed foods because they're denatured. They've lost their minerals. They've lost their enzymes. They've lost their antioxidants. So all of this synthetic, practically anything in a box or, or, or nearly any processed, highly processed food is going to be acid forming because it just doesn't have the minerals in it you need to produce the alkalizing compounds. You and made me
0: think of something, too, though. Um, if you make a salad dressing, you've got
1: oil, which is more. Um, well, different oils, you, different. There's some some oils are acid forming and some are not. Yeah. But when you add the salt, it doesn't taste good to have an
0: oil in, say, lemon juice or something without putting in that piece of salt, that little bit of salt.
1: And, um, oh, no, no. You just wait, inta- wait. innately do that.
0: We, we definitely need, sometimes we, we, need, we need a certain amount
1: of sodium. It's just that when people eat processed foods, they eat too much sodium. And Not they that the they're putting diet. in their diet, but that they they eat. You know, commercial foods uh, that are very highly salted for the for the flavor, Mm -hmm. people eat more if there's salt in them, and
0: it's really bad salt. You know, I have salt sensitive genes, which I found interesting when I learned Uh that because I have to have salt. And um, then I found out as I did more research that even with those salt sensitive genes, uh, which some doctors say don't eat any salt, which I think is a big mistake, unless they're telling them to avoid the salt in processed foods. But so I. um, uh, I looked up and did more research and found out that you can still have up to a teaspoon a day, mm-hmm. even if you've got those salt sensitive genes, you can still have up to a teaspoon a day of that high quality salt that you're talking about. And I get my salt from uh, Selena Naturally. She's got great Himalayan, she tests salts from all over the world and they are very high and rich. And yeah, uh, so she has the Celtic
1: salt, Himalayan salts, and
0: salts from everywhere. Right, right,
1: right.
0: Like, and the over, more so. stress
1: stretcher- I think you're absolutely right. Like it's, the salt plays an important role. In fact, some of the native peoples that I studied, they would, salt was an exchange of currency because mm-hmm. it's very so valuable. You, you need salt in order for the body to survive. And so it's it's like all things we want to have the right balance. And some people can tolerate more and others can tolerate less. But excessive salt is not a great idea because it, it amongst other things, it acidifies.
0: And so, again, I was looking at coffee, caffeine, mostly caffeine, and, um, you know, it's just, it's, it is dehydrating. And right. do you think dehydration is playing a role in uh,
1: the whole acid upline issue? Well, I mean, dehydration is never a good thing. And so many times we drink coffee coffee because we're running low on energy The the body is not able to produce the energy so my argument is if you go back to work on ph balance with all those fruits vegetables nuts and seeds certain supplements like magnesium and uh, we, we supplement with a whole series of bone building nutrients which are also very good for ph minerals then you then you have a you have a much better balance and yeah
0: I, well you know I, I know i'm encouraging people to go back to listen to our podcast on bone building it's essential but i wanted to put in a little plug for a book i've been working on for a long time um so i wrote the body called your diet for people with yeast infections but years down the road i realized that um the um you know what about viral infections? So I developed a diet for that. But basically, whether you get you know that virus that we're not just a name that went all over oh, the I world, seasonal would, yeah. flu or yeah. anything, you you have to go on an antiviral diet, which is vegetarian mm-hmm. and highly alkaline,
1: mm-hmm. because
0: the the virus or yeast or whatever, they're making the body very, very acidic. So the uh-huh, balance right. to that is to alkaline. So I just dropped my acid alkaline food guide on the floor. And so uh, you showed it, you held it up, but just for people that aren't watching anything, uh, could you, first of all, you know, show the book again and tell us about it, but also how do they get more information? Where do they buy the book? Can they get it on Amazon <laughs> or do, you, do they come I to you like
1: Okay, certainly. Uh, I have written, like you, Dan, thousands of articles on on the website, Um, but we have two websites, and the website that has the most information on pH, and if a person says, I want to understand this a little deeper, we have some very considerate yet not complicated blogs on pH balance and that is on the website Alkaline for Life, Alkalin4FORlife.com. F-O-R, that Alkaline for Life is the website that we have where we have all our information about pH balance, our articles, and that's also the place where we sell products like the Acid Alkaline Food Guide. And the pH test kit, which I don't have one here, but it's a wonderful book. That uh, It's a kit that has the book, has the pH paper, has sample menu. So the best thing is to get the, uh, the alkaline diet starter kit, and that has everything in it. And like you said, you, you sort out what's best for you, what you can have, what you can't have, knowing that if we give the body a full deck to play with, we're going to have much better chance of resisting infection and keeping that life energy vital, which is really. Well, one of your
0: supplements is the ionized magnesium. Is that, what does that mean? Ionized
1: for people. Ionized means that it's, it's active, it's ready to be used by the body. The the magnesium has to be in an ionized form, which means it has an electrical charge to it so that it could be assimilated. And what we do in our ionized magnesium are three different magnesium salts, all of them alkalizing like magnesium citrate, magnesium glycinate, and I think the third one is magnesium ascorbate. So Magnesium is a little hard to absorb. Some people have difficulty absorbing it. So we found best to use three alkalizing forms of magnesium. If you don't absorb one, you're going to have a better chance absorbing the others. And the real trick about, see, magnesium, remember, if you measure your first morning urine and it's not 6.5, you know you don't have enough magnesium. And if you say, okay, but I can't take magnesium, I take magnesium and I get diarrhea. You know what that means? That That's means, right. What's magnesium that? citrate. Well, no. Is it because of the magnesium citrate form? No, it's it's because there's a because magnesium gets into the cell through one channel, which is the calcium magnesium ATPase. I like the entryway. That entryway can become blocked with pesticides, toxins, a whole bunch of stuff, and the magnesium doesn't get into the cell, so it stays in the gut and it causes some annoyance to the gut if this, one of my mentors has discovered, he is very creative. He now has a patent on this, that a certain type of choline. Now, choline is like a B vitamin that 90% of the people are deficient in. It's very important for brain health to produce acetylcholine. It's important for children to develop their brains. I could tell you really interesting stories about that. But anyway, if you get diarrhea from magnesium, You just try this. Get the choline citrate. It's a particular product. We have it, Alkaline for Life. It's a bottle. You take a teaspoon of that. When you take the magnesium, maybe twice a day, and you will not get a loose stool from, you won't get diarrhea from magnesium. You'll get the magnesium into the cell. And choline citrate, of course, is alkalizing itself because it's a citrate. Citrates alkalize, just like an ascorbate. Like when we sell vitamin C, we sell ascorbate form because that's the form There's the body else, uses. Us next. Yeah, your, and your, your vitamin C is different. It's different. It's packed under nitrogen. You want, uh, you want nutrients that in the form the body uses, and then you want them to be active. Like vitamin C is an electron donor. It's got all these little electrons spinning around, ready to give it away to quench free radicals. But if that has been exposed to light or heat in processing, those electrons have already been given away. So they're not potent. That's why we pack it under nitrogen, keep it sealed very carefully. There is the science to all of this. And the amazing thing is the body survives no matter what, but we want like peak performance. That's what mm-hmm. we're trying to get. and peak You know, el- Dr.
0: Russell Jeffrey told me about the... Yeah, oh, yeah. A long time ago, the choline citrate. I didn't know where to get it, but... The fact that it can enhance the uptake of magnesium is huge. I'm glad you thought to bring that up too, and they can get it from you. Well, I guess I need to let you go. And um, I guess I got through everything here, but I'm glad you have all those blogs. This is a big topic and it's an important topic. And like I said, people don't, practitioners don't understand acid alkaline, and a lot of their decisions would be
1: uh, different and better. And I mean, the, prep, the advice well, they, they give you. But you know, I don't think we have to understand so much. Just think that we all are getting the idea that fruits and vegetables, nuts and seeds, this is what our ancestors ate. This is what our machinery likes to eat. More of those. Look, can I get this eight cups of fruits? Now that's a lot, for, but it, it, that's what we need. So can I get? Can I? Can I just have some vegetables for breakfast, for example? Can I have some more nuts and seeds with my lunch? Just just take it step-by-step. Step. Measure your first morning urine. You'll see it change. Add a few alkalizing supplements like Visit Alkaline for like and look at some of the supplements. We love ascorbate because a buffered ascorbate will also be the major electron donor. It energizes. What we're looking at, Donna, and we'll talk about it next time, we're looking at energy, how the body produces energy. How can we set the stage for optimum energy production? That'd be, podcast, that'd be a great
0: podcast because everybody's exhausted
1: today especially if
0: they're long haulers. and maybe we can help people with a podcast like
1: well that. yes so- we have to be we have to be easy on ourselves. that's right we have to be easy and and think about everything from adequate rest to the energy that we get just being out in nature but i thank you very much for your work i hope that uh, I hope the whole world returns to an alkaline state and it will. We won't be in such acidic. Only, only if
0: they somehow stumble across this information and the other podcasts and your website and all. Because um, I've always said that we, I strive to produce really excellent products, especially for the gut. But knowledge is more important than products even. So that's what we're doing here is sharing knowledge. And I thank you for knowing all this. I know your talk, what you're saying in a simple form represents decades of, of knowledge, learning yourself. So thank you for sharing with us.
1: Yeah, we, we all learn and we all share. It's been my pleasure and I congratulate you on your work. You've, you've helped a lot of people and, and you've really come to understand this whole very important issue of digestion, which we uh, haven't paid enough attention to until recently. That's true. Surprisingly, thank you, thank Dr. you, Susan. Bye bye.
0: Continued. Thank you. Body ecology is not a diet. It's a way of life based on seven universal laws that always guide us toward the truth. If you want to know more about us, about these seven universal laws, and about our amazing, effective products, go to our website bodyecology.com. Also for a free transcript of this show, go to our website. Again, that's bodyecology.com. And of course if you like what you're learning, we'd be very grateful for a review on Apple or wherever you listen to your podcast. If you've got a topic you want to learn about, just let us know. This information does not replace the advice of your doctor or healthcare professional. Thank you very much for listening. And here's to a happier, healthier world.